Welcome to Beautiful Humans, the social change cast, where behavior analysis and social justice collide. Join us as we aim to move the needle on personal and social change by tapping into the beautiful humans inside of all of us. Follow us on Spotify, Apple, or whatever medium you prefer to make sure you never miss an episode. You can find us on Instagram at Beautiful Humans Change and on Facebook at Beautiful Humans, the social change cast. Hey, this is Denisha and Erin. Today we have a special episode for you. This is what we call our reference show. So sit back. We're just going to talk about the terms. Essentially, as we continue to build this podcast, there are going to be a lot of words that folks may not know. And this show is for you to just tune back into if you ever feel lost with anything that we have to say. Know that it's not all encompassing, but rather the words that we know will come up very frequently. So a lot of times we know information, we just don't have the words for it. And it's good to note that language does change. So even the things that we define tonight, they might change. They may not be the same from what you learned before, or they might be different tomorrow, but that's just how language works. Yeah, I know, Denisha, you've uh, you've taught me a lot of these words um, and you're still the expert. So I'm going to refer to you on a lot of these, just so you know. No expert, just, you know, <laughs> another person trying to figure all this out, but um... without a doubt. All right. So let's, all right. So let's start this off. So the first one that we're going to talk about is the word oppression. So why don't you give us a rundown on what that, what that term means? Okay. Um, I definitely think it's good that we're starting here. I think a lot of the conversations that folks have, we tend to talk about privilege um, a lot, um, but it's really important to center marginalized individuals and center their their stories, their experiences, um, especially when privilege takes up a lot of space and a lot of conversation in general. To define oppression, um, it's the combination of prejudice and institutional power, which creates a system that discriminates against some groups. And we label these groups as target groups or marginalized groups. And um, yeah, so an example of that would be Uh, Classes like depending on race, sex, gender, sexuality, um, ability status, class, um, and religion. And folks that are in these oppressed groups typically have control that's been exerted over them by a dominant identity group that has limited their rights, their freedoms, and their access to basic resources such as healthcare, education, employment, and housing. Right. This is where we can talk about like the isms, right? So like racism, mm-hmm. sexism, heterosexism, um, heterosexism, sorry, mm-hmm. um, ableism. Yeah. All of those that, uh, you know, that um, some may be re- really familiar with, uh, but there are other um, ageism things that I wouldn't even think, you know, that you were kind of talking yeah. about for sure. The one of the things about oppression is it can be um, seen, measured in many different ways. For example, like on a personal level, just talking about like what people value, their beliefs. Another um, way is institutional, of course, the rules and policies that have been created, um, cultural, what is beautiful, what is seen as beautiful, what's the truth, what's dictated as right. Um, And so recognizing that oppression isn't all about uh, the actual 
policies that are in place. It's not all about politics, um, but it definitely has a lot to do with that for sure. But oppression is seen, felt, and measured in many different ways. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's really good to kind of identify some of those different ways to measure that. Uh, and something that we wanted to do with the show, because we're combining social justice and behavior analysis, is to be able to provide these uh, definitions of these terms, but then also to put them in a behavioral language as well. So Denisha has like outlined these great definitions for like oppression in this behavioral term, which I think is just fantastic, you know? Yeah, um, I think one thing recognizing that we as behavior analysts, like we have our own culture um, sure. And so there are specific ways that we engage with one another, uh, ways that we talk and um, our language is reinforced by one another, obviously. Um, I think it's super important to think about language, especially <laughs> how language works in the larger world. And sometimes language can be um, uh, used as a tool of control or to leave certain people out. So even though we're going to be doing this podcast where we're talking about language in, in a behavior analytic way, recognizing that um, expecting folks to have a behavior analytic term for everything might also be talking about certain biases that we might hold in certain ways that we're keeping other people out. Um, so just keeping that in mind. But I went ahead and tried to define oppression. And so far what I have, and this is a working definition, I think that there are plenty of folks who could probably do, do us a, a great service by working on it a little more. But right now I have aversive control procedures utilized against individuals belonging to at least one particular identity group that falls outside of dominant identity groups, such as white, Protestant, rich, heterosexual, able-bodied males, and this includes, but is not limited to people of color, non-religious folks, Muslims, Jewish, poor people, gay, lesbian, disabled women. Um, also another way to think about it is limiting availability of reinforcers um, or controlling the access to those things. Yeah, I think that's really important where you're talking about limiting availability or controlling access uh, to reinforcers. I'm really glad you put that in there because that was something that, um, uh, and then using the aversive control procedures to to then limit that um, availability, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, whether it's just access to opportunities, um, I think is a big one, to be honest, especially in our field, for sure. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And so I think on the other side of oppression, like I said, the the one thing that we always center or tend to center a lot. And, I, and I'm definitely, it's necessary to, to talk about privilege for sure. I think that's how we also continue to move the needle. Um, but Aaron, do you want to pick up privilege or I can definitely go into it if you want me to as well? I, I can touch on privilege. You've, you've taught me a lot about privilege um, and it's something that I have... Uh, started to really dig into and learn about my own privileges. So privilege, when we talk about that, it's um, it operates on this personal or interpersonal, cultural and institutional levels, and it gives it uh, advantages, favors and benefits to members of these dominant groups that we're kind of talking about at the expense of members of the targeted group. So if you go back to the, you know, the, the oppression definition that we just had, you know, we listed out all of these identities um, on two different sides. And there are these ones that have privilege. And then there are others that, that, um, that don't, and are members of these targeted groups. And um, it's important to kind of recognize that you can have different types of identity, uh, you know, privilege uh, in different ways. So I can be privileged because I'm white, 
but I can also not be privileged because I, you know, would um, identify as transgender, you know, so there's different ways that that can show up uh, in your life. Um, and we're going to get on intersectionality in a minute. You kind of touched yeah. on it there, but it's uh, really important to recognize where you do have privilege and in, in other ways where you might be considered a marginalized or target group. So what would be the behavioral definition for privilege, Erin? All right. So the behavioral definition. So this is when reinforcement is available based on socially determined, so verbally defined uh, membership to at least one particular dominant identity group including but not limited to, like we talked about, white, Protestant, rich, heterosexual, able-bodied male. Um, you can also have a low or no response effort to gaining access to resources or to, uh, to these reinforcers. And then also varied and flexible reinforcements, so you know, positive and negative as well. Yeah, I think that um, is a great start to talk about what privilege um, might be in a behavioral way. Um, another component of privilege and oppression that I try to make sure to talk about as much as possible, even if we just are only mentioning it now, but it's internalized oppression. And that's one thing that um, people might skip over in the conversation. Um, but I think of it in ways where you'll talk to someone that is from a marginalized group and some of the things that they'll say will sound just like what the majority of folks have told them about their own groups of, of, of folks. And so um, we can define internalized oppression as uh, the process in which people in the target group um, make oppression internal and personal by believing the lies, prejudices, or stereotypes about them. Um, and I think that the members of the target groups then exhibit internalized oppression when they alter their attitudes, behavior, speech, and self-confidence to reflect the stereotypes and norms of the dominant identity group. And that can be low self-esteem, self-doubt, even self-loathing, but that also can be projected um, outwardly as fear, criticism, distrust of one's own identity group. And um, I think a way that we can think about that uh, behaviorally would be essentially just acceptance or adherence to the rules or the information that's been provided by the majority group. And that acceptance creates destructive feelings and behaviors towards oneself and or members of that targeted group. Essentially almost the same, but. Yeah, I think what you said there was really important were rules. It's kind of these rules that are established, these guidelines that if you, uh, you know, identify or you're part of a certain group, this means that you are a certain way. And so you're, you know, through your experiences, you kind of, you, like you're saying, you're internalizing those things. They become a part of who you are, whether you want it to or not. I think that mm -hmm. was really important for you, for you to note. Yeah, I mean, we all... If, if you're part of this world, especially here in America, like we all learn the same information. So it's only normal, I think, for folks to kind of take in that information about themselves because that's what the information was intended to do for people to take it, believe it. Um, and so you see it happen a lot. And I think that's why, you know, when we start to talk to varying folks from the same uh, group, recognizing that not you might be part of the same group, but you don't believe or do everything the same way. Like there, it's not a monolith. Um, and just because you 
hold the same types of um, oppression doesn't mean that you experience it the same way. That's awesome. Yeah, as far as experiencing it a different way, definitely. Yeah. All right. So we've had oppression, then the flip side was privilege. Mm-hmm. And now we have internalized oppression. All right, what's up next? So we mentioned groups, right? Like social mm-hmm. groups. Um, essentially what that means is it's a group of people who share common social identity and they're set apart by these socially defined boundaries or identities. And we mentioned some of them earlier when it came to race, sex, religion, class, ability, status, et cetera. So that would be yeah. a social group. Yeah. Does that, how does that kind of connect to one's identity? Is that, I mean, um, are those groups part of your identity? Okay. So essentially it is my identity is this. And then my I, my social group would be those who also share that same identity. Got it. So, um, so whether it's I have a social group of women um, mm-hmm. or I have a social group of black folks, like this, these are my social groups based on these identities um, that I also identify with or carry. Um, so, yeah. Okay. Excellent. Okay. So then the next thing we have is the term ally. Um, This is probably a term that that people have heard pretty frequently. Uh, And this is someone who supports the rights and the dignity of individuals and different identity groups um, on their own. And so somebody who's going out and kind of joining and supporting, uh, you know, in different ways. um, I'm trying to think of an example of what that might look like in, in contrast with then the second, the next you know, thing that we're going to talk about, the next uh, term we're going to talk about. Um, Mm -hmm. I almost think of like an ally is a a little bit more passive in it. Would you agree? Yeah. The way that I see allies, I I see them as the people that are like our friends. Like I like you, but I see, actually, you know what? I see it kind of as someone who just, shows up and shows face and says, I really appreciate you for who you are. And then that's it. And we go about our business. Yeah. That was a nice exchange. Right. Exactly. Exactly. It was a nice, it's those people who, whenever I post something uh, pretty vulnerable on Facebook or something like that, they're the ones that are right there that are saying, Oh, this is fantastic. Thanks for sharing. And then they like disappear, you know? Mm -hmm. So being an ally is, it it feels good. Right. But that's in contrast to the, the term that we're going to talk about next, which is, um, you introduced me to this term and I love it. It's accomplice or a change agent, right? Why don't yeah. you, t- why don't you talk about accomplice? I get excited about All this right. term. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm going to throw in another one for you too. I think they're all the same, but accomplice change agent and co-conspirator. co-conspirator. Um, yeah. So I consider an accomplice as or a change agent or co-conspirator as someone who works to dismantle oppressions in institutions, um, works to address the role of themselves in upholding and maintaining the system of oppression. So the difference between ally and accomplice or a co-conspirator or change agent is the behavioral aspect, your actions. What are you doing? Um, It's great to know that I have a friend in you and that you appreciate my existence on this earth, but I need to know, are you going to show up and rally for this existence? Like you might um, appreciate seeing me, but if you don't care if the system that is built um, to possibly kill me or destroy me, and that could be physically, mentally, or spiritually. If you don't care about that enough to show up for me, um, then you know it only goes but so far. And so I think 
for the accomplished change agent co-conspirator, those are the folks that are really going to help to do the work. Um, and it's it's very action oriented. It's really putting your money where your mouth is, essentially. Yeah, I always talk about uh, they take on some of the burden that we mm -hmm. have. You know, we are not alone in the fight that we have to overcome the oppression um, that we may have have an experience, and they're right there, like in stride with you, um, taking on some of that, so you don't have to shoulder shoulder all of that on your own. That's the way I yeah. kind of uh, you know experience that um, in, in my own life is that person who's there that's speaking up for me, so I don't always have to be that person. Yeah, in the social justice world, we say it's putting your bodies on the line. Like when we're out there on the front lines for whatever specific issue that we're talking about or rallying for that day, our, our accomplices are putting their bodies on the line. There are threats that are made apparent when you do things like that. I mean, you can be ousted of any type of social power or whatever um, engagements that you are part of, like you can be ousted from there. You could be put in jail. You don't know what the ramifications could actually be, but I specifically think about folks who do social justice works on the front line. And I mean, their threats are physical, emotional. Right. That's right. a lot. And so for an accomplice to say, you know what, this might not have been my fight, but this is my duty. And exactly. Um, there's something really beautiful about that, I think. Um, and being really intentional too about keeping those type of people around you, like the ones who are willing to do that um, extra work. Those are the ones that truly matter. I, I think in, in my mind, when I'm thinking about like social justice, um, in, in terms of social justice and showing up and activating, um, it's great to have people who encourage you to continue to move along, but really those people who are going to help you further your, um, your cause or further your existence. Cause it really is just about the lived experiences and the existences or the existence that, um, of us being here. If you're going to help me further that, then I, I think that that is what truly matters for me and, and making sure to keep those people and, and being grounded and knowing that those people do exist. And they do exist. You're right. They are. They do. Excellent. Yeah, that's um, that's probably one of my favorite terms that we have here. I could tell you get really excited about that term too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so moving along, the next one we have is diversity. Again, another term that uh, a lot of people have probably heard, and this talks about all the variants of identity, skill, appearance, ability, and anything. Um, and it, you know, it can be with anything, people, animals, fruit. <laughs> I like that you put fruit in there. <laughs> There's a reason behind that. <laughs> I want to hear it. What's, what's the reason? So the, the reason that I put that um, when we talk about diversity um, is that it could be anything, right? Diversity literally can be anything. And so I think diversity is a hot box word. And we use it a lot because it's, it's something that has some type of social validity, like folks really know what diversity means when you say it in general, because it could be anything. Um, but we're talking about diversity, just knowing that there are limitations to that. Like diversity is more than faces on a brochure. Mm -hmm. um, it is like, I don't care about how many people of color you have in your workplace or in your organization. If those people of color are not safe to speak 
um, in the ways that feel comfortable to them. And if they are still having issues with uh, equal pay. So, you know, that's the limitation to when we start to talk about diversity and that being our end goal. For me, it's more than diversity. So that's why I made sure to put fruit to just talk about like, you know, it's really just a saying, let's throw different people together. In, yeah. In my head. Yeah. Yes. And it's a word that people throw out there that can say, you know, we have a diverse uh, workforce or something like that. And it's kind of one of those plugs. It's like, yep, this is us. Then we've hit certain quotas, essentially, you know, if right. you're thinking about like um, universities or something like that, and they want to make sure that they get their, their quota so they can look like they're diverse or something like that. I'm not saying they have quotas, but in the, in the past, it's been like, I mean, I remember applying for grad schools and things like that. And I knew that being a white female, um, had its set of challenges, but I, you know, they, they were always looking for, for something, something extra, like what makes you different? What skill set do you have that sets you apart from everybody else? And, but diversity, you're, you're right is, um, it can be limited. And it's like that, uh, faces on a brochure. That's kind of the perfect way. It's like, let's make sure that we target every, and now even it's like, um, I feel like, when I go to conferences and now, I, and it's part of my own bias too, is like now I'm looking for diversity in like the speakers and I expect to see that. Right. And it's like, mm -hmm. is that what they're trying to do is trying to make it look like that's a value for them, which it may be. And that's great. It's great. But it's again, like you're saying to what, to what end, you know, is it, right. is it a value or is it just a kind of, you know what I'm trying to say though? Kind of just like, just to show and t it's like to save face a little bit, but I, I know that I'm like a cynic or sound, I sound like a cynic in terms of like diversity and talking about the limitation. Um, there are limitations, but it's definitely necessary, like you said. So like if I do go to a conference and being able to see more people who are from varying backgrounds, like that's, that's super important. It's especially important to me to also see folks who look like me being part of a minority class or um, a marginalized group. So that's necessary. But then also it's what do you, what else needs to happen besides diversity? Right. And so I think, right. Yeah. We'll talk more about that at some right. point. Right. And I was like, how far do you want to get into this? Cause I could ask questions and questions. I could keep going, but I think, yeah, yeah I think you're this right. Is just it's, for the terms. Let's right. <laughs> like that's what diversity is. Okay. And next. <laughs> All right. So what is next? All right. Culture. Mm. Culture. All right. So culture is the systems of knowledge that are shared by a relatively large group of people. That's a pretty, very, very broad term. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the behavioral term or I can? Sure. I can, what do so, you think? About that? So the behavioral term, actually, this one was defined by, and I should have looked up the pronunciation before we did this. And I am sorry, because I know that I'm going to butcher this, um, but I am going to try it anyway. Um, Sugai et al, 2012, um, de defined it as the extent to which a group of individuals engage in overt and verbal behavior, reflecting shared behavioral learning histories, serving to differentiate the group from other groups, and predicting how individuals within the group act in specific setting conditions. So, um, I think the thing about culture, it really just talks about 
that learning history, the shared learning history. I think that's really important in this quote. Um, and then what that, how that can impact our behavior based on our shared learning histories. And also the thing about culture is like engaging in certain behaviors um, that pay off for the, the group, right? Mm-hmm. And also recognizing that even though you have a cultural identity, like we engage in behaviors that might have a payoff for our cultural group, but then also as an individual as well, like those two don't have to exist apart from one another, Um, but just recognizing that there is some interlocking that occurs. Definitely. And I think the thing too, is when people hear culture, oftentimes they attribute that to like race or ethnicity and Mm. that uh, becomes the default for culture. And that's not necessarily the case because that first definition just ser- said relatively large group of people. And then you're saying, you know, um, shared experiences with the same kind of behavioral learning here, histories that that's a, a really wide, wide range. You know, that's not limited, like I said, to, to race or ethnicity or a religion or something like that. You know, it's, it's very broad. Yeah. Oh, I said it earlier. We're behavior analysts. We have our own culture. Without we absolutely a do. Without yeah. a doubt. <laughs> Definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. All right. So you you mentioned intersectionality earlier a little right. bit. You didn't say the words, but um, definitely is important to talk about. Um, do you want to go ahead and try to define it? And let me actually say that um, intersectionality was coined by Kimberly Kernshaw, just to give you a little backstory. Um, it's really f- not funny, but just tells you how life works. Like she coined it, um, I think back in the eighties or late nineties and didn't get her references or do until it was said in the women's March. And so then people started to say, like, Oh, what's this? Yeah. Like, like the most, like the women's later. March. Yes. <laughs> that just happened. Like, yeah. In 2017, 2017. Are you serious? Yes. Didn't get her due until 2017. And it's like, it's, it, it's really interesting. Um, just to know how that, how that happens. Um, but she is the, she coined intersectionality, but also before her, I also uh, want to make sure to talk about, um, the Kumbahi women's collective, they actually were doing that work before Kimberly Crenshaw was. And it was specifically about um, being black, womanhood, and being lesbian uh, because they're, um, they felt like that wasn't being addressed. Um, the intersections and the differences and the commonalities that are weaving between these identities. And so they actually were the first people to kind of think about intersectionality, intersectionality. Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's insane. Oh my gosh, decades later. I couldn't imagine like having a term and then it not being recognized. I wonder, we'll have to talk, we'll have to have like an episode on intersectionality just totally like itself, uh, you know, and um, okay. So defining intersectionality, the interconnected nature of uh, like these social categorizations that we were talking about. So race, class, gender, um, as they apply to a given individual or group. Uh, And it's kind of regarded as, creating overlapping and interdependent systems of uh, discrimination or disadvantage, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got all these different um, categorizations and how um, like one person, uh, you know, all of those different um, identities kind of intersect, right? Mm -hmm. 
Okay. Yeah. Um, and Kimberly, I want to read off her quote, actually, like um, from her paper when she coined it. Cool. Um, she essentially, the, the reason behind it was, and I quote, because the intersectional experience is greater than the sum of racism and sexism, any analysis that does not take in does not take intersectionality into account, cannot sufficiently address the particular manner in which Black women are subordinated. And I think um, the emphasis needs to be added there, especially, um, I was talking about language and what happens to language and how it changes. Um, that's a perfect example because intersectionality was coined by two collective groups of Black women, specifically about the Black woman experience. And what we know about it today um, in 2019 is that it's to talk about any intersection. Mm -hmm. And so that's just, that goes to show like how language changes. And then also how sometimes language um, is hijacked by folks in academia and folks that are not, right? Mm -hmm. um, Kimberly Crenshaw was an academic, but um, you know, different people have the ability to take language and then change it to, to match or fit another criteria. And so um, I just wanna put that one out there too. Um, I think it's very, very interesting that the two groups that we're talking about that intersection were happened to be two black women um, or a group of black women and then Kimberly Crenshaw as one, so yeah. Wow, wow. Mm -hmm. We'll have to um, share that paper. You'll have to, yeah. I wanna read that. Show notes. Right. I'm going to put something in the show notes. Show notes. I've always <laughs> wanted to say that. Oh, we'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> cool. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So anything else on intersectionality? Mm -mm, I think that's, that's it. I think that's a good okay. starting point for our listeners. I do really like in that quote where it says that if you're not taking the analysis of that intersectionality into account, then you can't sufficiently address anything mm -hmm. because you're not looking at it as a whole, right? If you're only taking bits and pieces um, of a person or a group, then that's, um, that's an issue. That's a huge issue. Yeah. So I yeah. like that. I really like that. Okay. So I had added two others because these are terms that I hear you use. And I know that like, it might be common knowledge as to what they are, uh, but it might not be for everybody. And so uh, the first one I had was dismantle, because that's something you say quite often, and I love it. And I've started to kind of put it into my language a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. It's not fluent yet, but it will be. Uh, but I really like how you wrote this. And this is to discontinue policies and conditions that keep um, individuals marginalized, which then leads mm -hmm. to the next term, which is marginalized. <laughs> um, <laughs> right. So when I first heard that term, I was like marginalized. I understand margins and I kind of need context clues and put that all together. And I was like, wow, that's a really powerful term um, to, to define these, um, to, uh, you know, to explain these groups who have been denied access and kind of pushed to the margins of uh, social, mm -hmm. economic or complete political involvement like they don't have a voice right you know if what's needing to be heard is directly in the center of like this targeted bullseye they are way far out on the on the 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 outskirts um and the what i imagine to be like the margins and and they're not they're being denied access to to being essentially a voice did i get that was that <laughs> i love the fact that you incorporated the bullseye i think cool. that's a good visual to talk about awesome. marginalization and okay. like who's at the center, especially just keeping that into um, taking that into consideration, like who's at the center 
and um, all, everyone else falls on the outside, definitely. It's interesting, and we can, I mean, we can, again, we'll have more talk on this, but um, I know, and I won't get into too much detail, but you and I have experienced a privileged walk together, um, mm -hmm. at, you know, at, at a conference, and so um, I imagine that but in like a circle kind of aspect and it's like all the the privilege all the easy stuff all the stuff you want access to is right there in the middle and the privilege is what kind of it's like this magnet right and it's easy to get there and you know it's just it's hard for everybody on the outside they can't they can't quite get um in there because of all these barriers and you know um so yeah cool i'm glad the bullseye worked <laughs> awesome that's it <laughs> Um, okay. Did you have anything else that we need to add? I think this is a good starting place for folks um, who are just joining us and they can refer back to it whenever they need to. Yeah, exactly. And I think the more that we talk about some of these things and the more context that we bring up some of these terms in, uh, we'll have to, uh, they may need like refreshers. So coming back to this episode can be really good. Um, if I would say if we do have terminolo terminology that we use that you all don't know, like let us know and we'll we'll create another episode like this. I'd love to have like a part two. I also thought about um, one, an episode where we have like a political correct language. So how mm -hmm. to like, if we're talking about culture or identity or things like that, like how, what is the best way to kind of communicate some of these um, things? You know, I don't know if political correct is the, the right, <laughs> I don't know if that's like the right word to use, or I don't know, you're going to tell, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> I did, tell me, see, this is what's great, you're going to tell me, it's a learning, <laughs> ultra humility, all right, that's for another show, but um, yeah. yeah, definitely, the language does matter for sure, um, okay. and, and folks hate when you police their political correctness. Um, but uh, yes we should not. definitely get into that. Not, I mean, not, yeah, I definitely think that there's another way that we can think about that, but, okay. um, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that another day, but For I think sure. I'm excited. Reference yeah. show. I, I think that show was a lot of good one. information. Yeah. For sure. Definitely. Okay. So that marks the end of our reference show. I just want to thank you for committing to being beautiful humans with us. And make sure you tune in for the next show. Hey, it's Denisha. And Erin. I just wanted to take the time here to let you know that if you're thinking about doing a podcast, there's a way for you to do a show without having to become an audio editing and production wizard. Yeah, you know, uh, we probably would have never gotten the show off the ground if it wasn't for a uh, Pretty Easy Podcast. So Pretty Easy Podcast helps podcasters get their shows recorded and posted with a complete podcast studio at your disposal. Record from your home or your office or at the park. Pretty Easy Podcast caters to your schedule and gives you a producer for your show at your beck and call. So if you have an idea for a show and you need someone to rely on to help you get it done, go to prettyeasypodcast.com and sign up today. Be heard and have some fun podcasting. You know you want to do it, so go to prettyeasypodcast.com today. Mm -hmm.